0: I'm Mike Green, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Kevin Hall, who's at the Laboratory for Biological Modeling at the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases at NIH, and we're talking about the math associated with obesity. Uh, So, Kevin, uh, can you tell us what areas of math are used and how they're used to analyze weight gain?
1: Sure, it's my pleasure.
0: Um,
1: Well, we primarily use ordinary differential equations to model how dynamic changes in body weight and uh, body fat mass result from imbalances between the calories in the diet and the calories expended by the body to maintain life and perform physical work. And some of our models are quite simple and can be solved exactly, whereas others are more complex involving, you know, the different kinds of nutrients like carbohydrate, fat, and protein. And those ones can't be solved exactly, and they require some numerical
0: approximations. You said that some are complicated and some are simple. Uh, When you think about the biological processes, it sounds like a very complicated thing, but, but there are some simple aspects.
1: Yeah, so it turns out that there are these constraints and uh, sort of conservation principles that the body has to obey. I mean, the body obeys the first law of thermodynamics, for example. So the difference between the number of calories taken in and the number of calories expended by the body have to balance out to create any changes in stored energy of the body, and that primarily happens by storing fat or losing fat. So these sorts of constraints can greatly simplify the equations and uh, give us some reasonable guidelines to to go by.
0: Now, I've heard that the differential equations model is similar to that of a leaky bucket. How how does that work?
1: Yeah, so uh, some of our more simple equations end up looking very much like a leaky bucket. If, if you think of the the volume of water in the bucket itself as being the, the body weight or or the stored energy in the body, and if you think of the tap that's maybe providing an input to the, to the water in the bucket, that's sort of like the number of calories that you're eating on a daily basis. And then at the bottom of the bucket, you have this little leak, which is like the number of calories that are being burned by the body. And so the interesting part of those equations, and this is quite unlike what a lot of nutritionists had thought before, is that, you know, the rate of leaking out of the bucket depends on the amount of water in the bucket itself. And so you get a a sort of dependence of the energy expenditure rate on the body weight uh, itself. Um, In other words, the the leaking rate of the bucket depends on the volume of the, the water in the bucket itself. And so you'll get some sort of balance. When the volume of the water is constant will be when the leak rate is equal to the rate of water coming in from the tap. And so that's very similar to this concept of energy balance that people have used in nutrition.
0: Do people in nutrition accept these models or are these people hard to convince that these models work?
1: Well, I mean, I think that there's some rules of thumb that have been out there for a long period of time that are going to take some overturning, but I think for the most part, a lot of the, the people who really understand these principles of energy balance and, and these conservation principles and nutrition are beginning to accept these models, and we've you know, published them in primarily clinical nutrition journals as well as medical journals and physiology journals, so we really try to get at that target audience and, and try to bring them around to what we think is the correct way of thinking about these systems.
0: Now, you mentioned rule of thumb. One rule of thumb that you hear nowadays quoted a lot is that 3,500 calories equals one pound conversion. Uh, You're not a big fan of that. Right,
1: right. It tends to overestimate the amount of of weight loss that would be expected if somebody was to go on a diet. So, for example, the way that a lot of people – including a lot of professional dietitians have have used that rule of thumb, is to estimate rates of weight loss. And the way that they would do that is, for example, say, let's pretend that you cut 500 calories per day out of your diet. Well, then after one week, that's 3,500 calories you've cut out of that diet and therefore one would predict a rate of weight loss of about a pound a week. It turns out that when you do that kind of calculation, what you're completely neglecting is the leaky side of the bucket idea, the idea that the number of calories that you're burning is not a constant. In fact, it depends on not just the body weight itself, that was a simplification part of the analogy but it also depends on the the rate of flow of the water coming in so that's one way that the the leaky bucket analogy falls falls apart but we have very good ways of, of actually modeling those processes and what happens is that the number of calories that you're expending almost immediately after you start a diet starts to go down then it goes down more than you would predict just based on the body weight itself. But we have a good way of actually making accurate predictions about that. And so the rate of weight loss, since the deficit, the energy deficit, the difference between the number of calories coming in and the number of calories being burned, is not a constant, but it's an ever-decreasing function, then you'll get slowing of weight loss over time. And even in that initial phase, if you don't account for that initial slowing of metabolism, that slowing of the number of calories being burned, you will overestimate the rate of initial weight loss.
0: You mentioned the models, and you just mentioned about you know, thinking about validating I mean, In the moment, we talk about that it's hard to do an experiment, you might say, with weight loss because people are either out in the world and, or you can't keep them in the lab that long. I mean, how do you validate it?
1: Right. So the way that we validate our models is, you know, once we've kind of determined the parameter values using existing literature or even some studies that we're conducting ourselves, We'll turn around and look for other well-controlled feeding studies in humans that have either provided food for extended periods of time that have, you know, put people out of energy balance and measured body weight changes and the number of calories being burned as well as the amount of fat that's being lost and things like that and subject our models to those same interventions and see how well the predictions compare with the data without fiddling with any model parameters at all. And so we've done this process now for all of our different models with a number of different data sets, and we're pretty confident that we can make accurate predictions.
0: This is pretty fascinating work. Is there anything you'd like to add, Kevin?
1: I think we've covered quite a lot of ground, and it's a pleasure chatting with you.
0: Well, it's nice to talk to you as well. And I was just curious, your colleague, Carson Chow, given his expertise, has he ever thought of changing his last name? (laughs) <laughs>
1: that's funny I haven't heard that one before and I'll have to pass that along to him because I'm not sure if he's heard that either. All right.
0: well thanks very much Dr. Hall that's Kevin Hall with the Laboratory for Biological Modeling at the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases at the National Institutes of Health Dr. Hall thanks very much thank you